So this is Foreign Devs. This is episode three. My name is Victor. And I'm Yanni. And we are back with another brand new episode for you guys. Now, in the last episode, Yanni teased us a little bit about what he wanted to talk about on this one. So, of course, we're going to get to that. But first off, Yanni, what's going on? What's new? Uh, actually, we skipped a week here. Um, you yep, know, you were we traveling did. around. It's been a busy, busy couple of weeks, so we do apologize for that. But uh, yep. been looking forward to this episode. Sick. Yeah, that doesn't help, but <laughs> but uh, with your voice voice gone, so definitely doesn't help. But uh, nope. we're back at it right now, and you know I've been looking forward to this episode. Um, well, I was in a meeting earlier today, uh, preparing for one upcoming boat show, and all of a sudden I feel my Apple Watch vibrate, and I, you know, flip my wrist over to see what's going on, and I see a long swear word going across my screen from you. Oh. So so what happened? What happened? <laughs> oh man, did I learn a lesson today? Um okay, so let me start from the beginning. So I in one of my production servers, I use Mailgun. And about probably 2 weeks ago or so, somebody at Mailgun sent an email out blast to everybody who uses it and said, "Hey, be careful with any emails that you receive that look like they are from us because they're not, right? The people have been phishing." And uh, don't click on anything, don't do anything. But that was like two weeks ago, and I've been traveling, and I didn't really pay attention to it. So today, I get an invoice for Mailgun, and instinctively, I just click on it just just to see what it was. And sure enough, it was not the real Mailgun, and Chrome auto-filled my username, and I clicked right through to it, and basically... They shut us down. Um, they sent 137,000 emails in what must have been about 45 seconds um, until Ooh. I realized what, what had happened. And um, Mailgun shut down the domain. So now we can't send emails at all. As of right now, there are no emails uh, going out. Everything's just failing. So they shut us down. Haven't been able to send an email since about 3.30 today out of that server. And uh, yeah, uh, that was... It's tough. So tomorrow, that's going to be my my project, just to get that back up and running. And so, a couple of things I learned. First of all, so obviously you set up a sub uh, domain for your email. In our case, it's just yep. mg dot domain dot com. So, little quick thing here that I could have done was basically just have a backup domain set up, backup subdomain um, with Mailgun. You could do it with the same domain. So, we, so I could have had something like uh, marketing dot you know our domain dot com instead, okay. and I could have switched over to that one. Um, which I'll probably end up doing anyway. My fear with what happened was the fact or is the fact that perhaps our domain is now kind of tainted with the spam fil uh, filters and stuff like that. So I'm definitely going to want to change the, the domain, the subdomain for the emails uh, to something else. And I'll set up a secondary one on top of that. And of course, I set up a two-factor authentication, which I should have done from the beginning, but I didn't. And so... That's where we are. Oh man, that's yeah. That's never fun. Never fun. I had actually, funny enough, at a, a last year's Miami Boat Show, I had a large invoice come over from AWS, and I'm like, "What is going on?" Ooh, man, I it's a busy, that. busy weekend, and uh, yeah, it turns out that a very old, actually one of the first AWS uh, accounts I had made. Um, yeah, I don't know been, how. I don't know. Had been hacked. Why? Yeah, yeah. And I'm thinking it's just um, an old server that that um, 
you know, running some other software was compromised and credentials were exposed through an environmental or sorry, an environment file. AWS, you know, helped me throughout it, but uh, just at a boat show using a horrible internet connection, you know, uh, crowded space, lots of uh, Wi-Fi activity. It just wasn't any fun, you know, trying to trying to get everything fixed in a quick way uh, when you're dealing with a very slow connection. So never fun. Yeah, no, I know. It was definitely not fun. I definitely had a had a stress level, you know, and it was not and it's still not over. Right. So, I mean, obviously, I'll be able to fix it and try to get everything back up. But, you know, it's ugh, it was just not exactly how I wanted to spend a couple of hours today. Um, And then tomorrow I'm going to have to obviously anything that I save everything to a database. So I'll just have to, you know, manually basically get all these emails out tomorrow that have been basically just accumulating there in a job Um, All my failed jobs. I'll have to go back in and retry those and make sure that those get sent out and just going to have to spend another couple of hours tomorrow doing some damage control for this. I mean, we didn't lose anything. You know what I mean? There's no, there was no damage except for the fact that these emails are now backed up for about, you know, 12 hours or so, but no huge yeah, damage. Could have a, been could have been way worse, I guess. Just the big wrench in your gears. Hundred percent, yeah. That was not fun. Yeah. So um one thing I, before we dive into the big topic, um just little rant about companies that haven't caught up uh with consumer expectations. So uh this week or this past weekend, uh my wife and I we were doing some landscaping cleanup in the yard uh well, previous weekend we had hired a company and they came out with a crew of 20 guys and just just uh really trying to clean up the overgrown uh, uh forest we have on the property and uh this weekend or this past weekend donna and i were at it ourselves and uh i figured you know what i want to buy an attachment for my trimmer so i could tackle some of the uh, higher up branches and also some of the um stringy looking branches that there's quite a lot of just so like a general cleanup yeah basically a chainsaw blade for my trimmer it's a chainsaw on a telescoping pole and mm, um, sounds dangerous yeah sounds sounds fun anyway so <laughs> i call up the local you know small business that's a power equipment shop and they have a nice selection they have a nice showroom but they are a small company anyways uh, a lady there picks up and i ask hey do you have this in stock she doesn't know what I'm talking about. Okay, well, you know, um, I can't ask for pricing if she doesn't know if she even has it in stock. So I asked to speak right. to one of the guys there, and the guys are very knowledgeable. You know, they're they know these machines in and out. But she tells me we really don't like them taking calls while they're out in the shop, and they spend all day out in the shop on the floor. So her advice to me is to come in there and you know, talk to them. And in my head, I'm thinking she wants me to drive there for a product. She doesn't know if they even have in stock. And uh, the more I thought about it, I said, you know what? I'm just going to order on, you know, off Home Depot. A lot of that could have been solved by, you know, just her transferring the call to a product expert where he could have said, hey, we have it in stock. Here's the price, you know, come on down. Could have been as simple as that. Uh, Or on the flip side, you know, if they had their inventory online, you know, simple site showing what they have or what they carry even, hey, I might have been in there buying. But it's just the harder you make it on a customer, the less you can expect really in sales or in business. 
I agree a hundred percent. You know, and in, and in almost in a lot of cases of these, is these are the the smaller shops that you know at the same time complain about Amazon and Amazon pricing or Walmart and Walmart deliveries or you know whatever it is that the that they complain about, and it's it's difficult as a consumer because I mean you want to support the local business, right? I'm all about supporting local businesses, small restaurants. I mean, I think they're amazing, you know, but at the same time there's a there's a lot to be said about the the convenience you know and once you've had the convenience of you know the one button buy now on amazon i mean that's like literally the the most convenient thing in the world you know it doesn't matter Absolutely. how many items it is it'll be just a single item just click on that one button and a day or two later it's at your house done easy yeah, convenient yeah. right and for 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 people that are busy and stuff you know that's it's extremely great you know and then so you almost have to go out of your way to help local businesses which again I highly encourage everybody to, but at the same time, you, you know, you kind of expect the best customer service they could possibly provide. And nowadays having an online store is not a difficult thing. You know, 10, 10, 15 years ago, it it was, you know, 10, 15 years ago, you literally had to pay thousands and thousands of dollars to get a store up and running. Now, anybody literally with just about 40 or $50 can have a subscription to something like Shopify and have a store, hundred percent store, perfectly good looking store. Um, you know, that would have cost hundred thousand dollars ten years ago. So there's no excuse for that, you know, but at the same token, I don't know. Maybe maybe they're just there's there's no education out there. I don't know. I don't I don't know what the what the what the train of thought is with business owners of small businesses. Yeah, that's something I mean that would be we could tackle many episodes on that subject and and uh I'm gonna just just say, you know, they lost a sale here because they didn't put the effort in. Yep. Yep. It'll it'll start to change though. It has to. It has to at some it point or, the, or they go out of business. Or they go out of business. That's all that happens. I mean, it's we see it time after time again, just small stores go out of business and then they blame, you know, the big department store. They blame somebody else, right? They never see it as anything that they did wrong. And I'm not saying they're all like that. Obviously we're generalizing, so you know, <laughs> that's never a good thing to do. But again, got to got to keep up with the times for sure. Yeah, that reminds me of a, uh, a family member who had a record shop, and this was in the mid '90s. wasn't very happy when he heard from my parents that I was uh, I was using a um, CD burner for some small business. Um, Transactions. Transactions. <laughs> well, he he is uh his record shop didn't last too long after that, but it's just sad how things happen like that. But you gotta keep up with the times. Yeah, well I mean, you know, I I've, 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 speaking of record stores, I mean obviously I come from a from a music family, so we you know, we had a ton of albums at my house. I mean, that was like the thing, right? So we we literally had, you know, some people have a library. We had a collection of music, you know, and my dad had an entire wall worth of CDs, right? And that's as as high as as he could possibly reach, and basically all the way to the floor, and okay. you know, thousands of dollars worth of music. And you know, as time went by, just the the quality in general of an album was so low that you were buying the fifteen song album for one song. Right. And you were still getting charged. Well, it started at $12 and, you know, albums started going up and then there was 18 and there was 22 and then a CD would cost you $25. And at okay. the end of that all, 
the artist was making pennies, right? Most of it was going to the record labels. And unless you had a multi-million dollar contract, you weren't going to make it to one of the big, you know, album stores. So, you know, we just stopped, stopped buying albums altogether. I mean, we, I, I, I don't remember exactly how it happened. I'm sure it was transitional, but at some point, you know, that CD collection just stopped growing altogether, you know, and we had collections, right? So it was basically alphabetized by artist and then alphabetized by each album inside of that. I mean, we, we, we had a ton of music, um, obviously nothing compared to what Apple music provides today, but still for the time that we had a serious music collection of all genres, you know, which is great. But again, it's it the quality of the product wasn't there anymore, you know, in, in a general term. Of course, there's always artists that still had albums that were worth buying 100% or you just bought it because you wanted to support the artist, you know, and then that's when Napster kind of came around and disrupted the music industry 100% because at that point, um, you know, an artist would be, well, an artist would really only make a lot of money in in like live stuff. You know, if they did a concert or some stuff like that, they just wouldn't make money on album sales. That's where the record labels really just took all the money. And so when Napster came around, that was kind of the response to to that was just the crazy price increase in, in albums, you know, with the lower quality. Yeah, think about how... Um, it, my apologies for that. Uh, think about how. Are we going to sleep? <laughs> yeah, we should be. Uh, if you go back fifteen years ago, no one—I don't think no no one really thought that they were going to be paying for music with how easy it was to download music. Sure. But Apple really changed that, and with purchasing off iTunes and now what we have, Apple Music. I mean, it's. I'll gladly pay the monthly subscription to right, have that right. convenience of selecting right. what I want to listen to when I want to listen to it. Right. And so. it's literally whatever you want to listen to, you know, and Absolutely. That's, that's so great. I mean, I, I wish that almost existed for movies too. Like, you know, it's like you, you have to have like the TV thing is, you know, it's kind of been on my mind lately. We just cut the cable bill a hundred percent and we're, you know, down to just streaming services. But like I said, streaming services, we've got, yep. you know, four of those to kind of, they complement each other and some, some repetition in there. You can't just have the one because one's got these shows and the other one's got these other shows. And then, you know, some channels here and some have live, some don't, yep. and it's, you know, Apple music is just it. It's like this one service and you get everything and anything you could possibly want. You know, I wish that existed sort of on the other, on the other side. And yeah, it was still and affordable because, I mean, that's the thing. The music, you know, service is very cheap compared to some of the other stuff. But these blockbuster films, they just make, you know, millions and millions of dollars, you know? Yep, yep. No, it's it's going to change. And uh, we'll see what what the future brings. But, all yeah. right, we've had, we've had some fun uh, scratching the surface with these topics. Let's dive right into why, or the, the big one. And that yes. is this distinct and why it failed let's talk about distinct all right so feel free to stop me anytime uh i've got yeah, a lot I to mean, cover I say, here I, yeah so let's start from the beginning let's see where it came out okay now as we start getting into this go ahead and uh pause and uh head over to nullthoughts.com slash distinct and i have 
an archive of the old uh, marketdistinctly.com website. So you could just get a quick idea of what Distinct was if you're unfamiliar with it. Victor, can we get a few seconds of hold music? And we're back. And if you checked it out, you'll see Distinct was a company creating a point-of-sale touchscreen digital displays. So if you've ever gone car shopping, think a brochure with still images replaced by videos, a configurator to customize your vehicle and calculate pricing, pricing monthly payments, uh, lead capture for dealers, inventory lists, and more. So over the past week, I've been jotting down notes and milestones and items I wanted to talk about, and it's really been an emotional roller coaster remembering the great achievements as well as the darkest times. So the whole journey started in 2014, and while it doesn't seem like it was that far away, the touchscreen technology has really evolved tremendously. I mean, 2014, you didn't have touchscreens at McDonald's to order a burger, etc. Right, but right. I was hoping for that. I thought I saw a little bit of the future and what could be done. And I thought customers would expect that every shopping experience would be truly interactive. And maybe, and we'll, we'll go into this, but maybe I was just a little bit early with distinct for an industry that's so often behind the curve. Right. I think, so, I, see, I, and on that, it's just you, you were, you were early in an already, you know, very behind industry too, you yep, know, which yep. of course didn't help. Yeah. It's uh well, I'll tell the story and uh, we'll go from here. So I've broken this down into a few chapters. This one's called Before I Quit. So you, Victor, and I, we were a leading marketing department for what was probably the most innovative company in the, in the boating industry at the time. I would uh, have to agree. 2012, 2013, 2014, revenue was skyrocketing. We were really outperforming the industry. And we became a $25 million company in annual revenue overnight. Uh, we doubled what we had done in revenue in a period of 24 months, which is nuts for a company that's selling, you know, physical goods, not just, you know, uh, uh, startup or a SaaS or, you know, uh, right. We're selling physical items. We had to inventory. We had to have manufacturers build. And uh, go an through expensive, the whole process. An expensive inventory, too. Yeah, lu luxury goods. Luxury goods that are, you know, definitely disposable income kind of stuff. Absolutely. Uh, in the process, we became the first dealer on Inc. Magazine's 5,000 list. And we were performing quite a lot of uh, bigger household names on that list. So we were doing all this by really trying to polish every single detail we could get our hands on. You know, that old saying about sanding the underside of drawers. That's what we I were doing. I love that one. Yeah, mm -hmm. me too. So we were we were doing that with our website. We were building uh, boat configurator tools that our salesmen could utilize at boat shows to prepare and calculate what, you know, what a boat would look like, what it would uh, come out to and give customer a real idea, you know, that... Again, touching on that, what customers were expecting rather than lagging behind. We were really pushing pushing forward. And we were winning awards for the technology we created, the boat shows we set up. And uh, one of those awards was for these digital price signs we had created. And they were simply 
desktop monitors powered by media players at the time on a, on a yeah, stand. Right. The, the, yeah, the first iteration was literally just a looped video with some text. Some content right? overlaid, so, yeah. Price, yeah, price yeah. MSRP, was, and some options overlaid yep. on, on video, yeah. Yeah, and I, really we simple. made each one. Yeah, we made each one. They were super difficult to make. We had to render them. It was like an After Effects um, template, and we had to go in and manually type all the stuff in and then overlay the video on that, and very time-consuming. But yeah. we did it. You know, we, we did, did it for a while, too. And as simple as you know, it sounds now, I mean, up until then, dealers were just creating these you know, price on flyers in Microsoft Word and printing them, hole punching them, and zip-tying them to a boat. That was, you know, some a of lot them still of, are. Yeah, that was a lot of boat show booths. So, um, where the media players came about was we were doing these uh, large scale digital printed price signs on uh, PVC board. So, big, bold, beautiful lifestyle graphics, and again, MSRP, boat show sale price, and the options on the boat that's on display. And, um, I started noticing a pattern with dealers ripping them off and copying them. You know, they were easy to copy. And, and um, I was flattered that I was seeing some, you know, progression in, in uh, the professional image that some of these dealers wanted to present. And I knew kind of whatever I was doing, you know, a few shows later, it would be widespread when it came to these printed items and even the media players. So, um, I didn't want to just stick to those media players. I wanted to do the next thing. And I saw a touchscreen as an opportunity. And I thought about it for a few months and kicked the idea around. And I was nervous as heck about ordering that first uh, actual touchscreen panel. It was a 22-inch panel from Dell. It was something like 350 bucks, And thought, you know, either here's something or here's just some waste of money. Right. But I ordered it. And... Um, tinkered around first with the Raspberry Pi board to uh, power it. And at the time, just couldn't get uh, H.264 video decoding to work quick enough and couldn't really get it to uh, come together. But uh, I kept at it. And I mean, over months, I just kept trying different things. And Yeah, I think one of my, mo- my most memorable part of this story is when you got the 3D printer. And I don't know how, how soon after the touchscreen you got the, the 3D printer. And at the time, it was the first time I had ever even heard or seen a 3D printer. So you started bringing in these samples that you had printed to work. And I'm like, this is some cool stuff. Yeah, that, that all kind of came together all at once. Um, yeah, so as soon as I got the software, you know, first prototype work, and I said, I need to figure out the hardware here. And I wasn't a welder, so I couldn't weld the stands like we had been doing up until then. But I saw 3D printing, uh, additive manufacturing as a way of doing it. And uh, thankfully, I didn't look into it enough to realize everyone online was basically saying, oh, you can't do low volume production, you know, with consistent parts. (laughs) So I just, you know, kind of discovered what I did. Yeah, I went for it. Yeah, No no one said (laughs) it was impossible, so I went for it. Uh, You just go for uh, it. A lot of, you know staying up late uh my first 3d prints were absolutely horrible and i didn't know i had never done 3d modeling before i had never done anything like this uh, other than some cnc work in the past and just i kept at it kept at it 
And I remember that first night that something actually quality came out of the machine. It was probably three in the morning. I woke up my wife. I'm like, honey, look. Look at this thing. Seven. And, um, yeah. I yeah. remember you had ABS. The, your ABSs were warping because you yeah. have like a big flat piece and you just, the corners would keep bending up and you'd bring it to work and you bring me a, the next same thing the next day a different one you know and then the next day you bring me a, again it's like look it's getting better i put these supports and these this stuff and i'm like man i can't even imagine what this is this is such a cool you know little gadget you can just print anything you can imagine you know yeah yeah so um and software wise what i had figured out is i had taken a gamble and uh, it was android 4 back then so I had taken a gamble and purchased some single board computers that were able to run Android and um, happened to, I, I did a lot of research, but I somehow happened to stumble upon uh, an article talking about Linux kernels and adding uh, the support for uh, human interface devices, which just a touchscreen is. It's basically the same thing as a mouse, really. Um, and Again, another thing I spent weeks on was compiling Linux kernels, trying to uh, reverse engineer the protocol uh, over USB that the uh, touchscreen was communicating to the board. And, and I've got video of it somewhere. I finally, and I mean, just after dozens of times of putting my fingers on the touchscreen and nothing working, this one time, just multi-touch worked. And I, I whipped out my you, you phone, recorded me. it. You actually, yeah, yeah, you FaceTime me or you sent me a video of that, and there was like just cables everywhere, just a pure mad scientist moment right there. Yeah, yeah, and I'll have to post up some of those pictures of the uh, the prototypes. But so software started coming together, hardware started coming together, and um, you know I didn't have resources to invest into uh, plastic injection molding or mass production. So everything was really done at a small scale. And uh, once I got, you know, the software on the displays working, then it was into building the creation tool so that customers could go in and edit their own content. They could put in their own boats, put in their pricing, put in descriptions and then dip right that was the that, big deal yeah that, that was the big was, deal yeah, that was the big that was the big deal right there dip, deploy it down to the display so everything would work offline at a boat show so you wouldn't be relying right. on the internet connection and uh, the idea back then was to put one display in front of each boat you know have it as a digital price sign and and uh that changed along the way but that was the idea back then so um as i was yeah, building good yeah, that comes the part where I leave, right? I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah. So, so one morning I'm uh, in the office, and I'd probably just gotten in, and Victor walks in, and we had adjoining offices, but Victor comes in and he goes, "Hey, uh, can I talk to you for a minute?" And when you said that, I knew something was off. You never just say, can I talk? Or, you know, can I? Right, right. Just, just barge in and start talking. Yeah. Um, you said you're leaving. And we talked about it for a second. And and I would have absolutely done the same thing you did. You know, that was a no-brainer. And, um, yeah, two weeks later, you were, you were gone. And, yeah. uh you know, I had been burning, burning the midnight oil working on this and 
and uh, still working during the days. And I hadn't had a plan to really transition, make this, you know, my full-time job, but I was starting to lose motivation, you know, during my day job. Um, there were just games being played and things, um, things I didn't really like. Yeah. I tell you in general, side projects have a tendency to do that, you know, and I feel like it happens to a lot of people. It definitely happens to me, you know, side projects just get more exciting than work sometimes, but this was different too. I mean, this, at this point I had left, you know, for, for reasons and, you know, some of, some of the same reasons that Yanni was starting to feel not motivated to show up, you know? Yeah. I think eventually I just got tired of it all. And there was one meeting in particular where, uh, yeah, they, they brought up, uh, some of these items and they had wanted to restructure my pay, even though we had just delivered the world, you know, in terms of results and revenue growth and, uh, profits, you know, were, uh, were far above the industry average. But um, when it came to those types of games, you know, just wanting to uh, stretch, I'll say, you know, my budget uh, further, you know, try to get more out of me without fair compensation. I just said, I quit. I wasn't planning to that day. There was yeah, nothing. That was it. Just like that. Yeah. I just said, I quit. And, um, yeah, I, I got a phone had... call and said, yeah, yeah. Yanni called me and said, I, I quit. And I said, what? And that was it. I mean, it was literally just that quick. And I, uh, you know, I didn't have a game plan other than shooting how I need to make these displays happen. And that night I went, went home and I was sick to my stomach and laid in bed and, Told Donna, uh, my fiance, who was who I was going to marry in five months, that I just quit my job, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh, that's how it all started. So uh, then it was the first year of business for Distinct. You know, I uh, I'd come up with a name for the company, whipped up a logo, some business cards, and some marketing collateral. And I had polished up the displays enough to where I could show them. And through just pure luck, another boat dealer had bragged about the media player displays, the old generation, to a boat manufacturer. And the boat manufacturer, out of the blue, just gave me a call and said, hey, I heard you've been doing these, you know, would you be interested in licensing them or selling, you know, us some? And I said, no way, really, because I've got a new generation, <laughs> touchscreen. And uh, we agreed we'd set up a meeting presentation. And as soon as we got off the phone, I realized I don't have an office. I don't have anywhere to show these displays. They can't, you know, just come over to my house. They're going to see that I'm, you know, I'm not a real company. Right. This, and, is, this is a company of one. And um, I, I, I almost panicked. And then I thought, wait a second, this other dealer had been excited about my displays. Let me call them up and thank them. I called them up. I said, hey, this is Yanni. You know, thank you. You know, they reached out to me. You know, I really appreciate that. Actually, I've got a new generation of the displays. They're touchscreen. I mean, I'd love to show them to you. You don't. 
uh, would you mind if I come up, you know, and actually, you know, the manufacturer is going to be in town too. You know, I could show both of them too. Yeah, that works. I don't know how I pulled that off, but I got both companies in one meeting. Oh, that is amazing. And, and uh, I'm really grateful for that other dealer. Uh, they've, yeah, they, that, that really got it all started. So right. we agreed, we agreed that this, uh, the manufacturer, they ended up liking the displays. They ended up purchasing a few of them. My first purchase uh, paid for up front. And we agreed that they'd be delivered to the upcoming Miami Boat Show. And even though everything was ready, it was kind of like when Steve Jobs presented the iPhone. You know, the story is that there were four iPhones, each one that would do certain things, certain functions before crashing. So that presentation, you know, never would have worked on just one, one phone. I kind of feel that the displays were that way. I knew the sequence of the presentation I could do, and I knew what I couldn't do. So up until then, it was both building out the first batch of displays and also polishing the software so that it would be really usable. And uh, as the days were counting down and you know everything was coming together, I wanted to have boxes. I wanted to deliver these like I was a real professional company. I had friends coming over to the house just helping me with things. I mean, I was in the middle of the day passing out just from, you know, not having slept the night before. And, and uh, yeah, again, people were helping solder wiring harnesses while I was laying on the couch to get a 30-minute nap and such. And it was a really crazy time. But um, in the mix, you know, I think it was a day before I was delivering the displays down to Miami. I noticed right as I was going to package up the displays that when the displays went in, disconnected from Wi-Fi, so they were completely offline, there was a software bug that would come up. And I had to package them up, but I knew I had to fix the bug before actually delivering the displays or before the customers could use them. So without really even being able to test them on a display, I had to crunch down, knock out this bug, and then do an over-the-air update immediately after setting up the display at the boat show, and uh, you know, nervous as gambling heck. on oh, yeah, yeah, gambling on bad internet of a of a trade show. Yeah, so nervous as heck. You know, Ooh, my stomach's a wreck. Sweating. driving driving down to the boat show. I remember pulling in, um, you know, going to unload. I'm just I'm sweating. I mean, I am nervous, and. Uh, Thankfully, there's no one around. They, they you know, the guys uh, at the booth were doing their own thing. We, a uh, uh, friend and I happened to go down and set up and we assembled the displays, hurried up, got them powered on. And uh, I'm using my phone as a hotspot. You know, the display is connected and I pushed that over there, update, and it ends up working. I mean, it just worked beautifully. And uh, uh, it was really nerve-wracking, but it all all worked out. And that was the first uh, first batch of displays delivered, and uh, I ended up working my final uh, weekend with company from before was was uh, during this show. I had agreed out of good faith to help them man the show, uh, work their booth. And I also thought of it as an opportunity to go around uh, during downtime to 
really introduce my products to other companies. And uh, I didn't take lunch. I didn't take, you know, breaks at all other than to basically go through the list of exhibitors, went to every single booth, every single boat manufacturer, every single boat dealer, shook hands, introduced my product, and just, you know, got my foot in the door a little. I hustled that whole show uh, until there was no one else I could really visit. And um, one of those interactions, uh, one of one of the boots happened to be uh, one of the world's biggest boat dealers. Uh, two very high up uh, executives from the company happened to be there with someone who's in charge of of technology. I don't want to reveal the exact role, but in charge of technology. And they happen to see see one of the displays and go, why don't we have these? Yeah, and, we need these. And the technology guy was a little like, is, well, shoot, I haven't seen these before. Uh, Do you make these? Yeah, yeah. Or actually, he came to ask me where we got them from. And I said, oh, you know, I make them. I have a company that makes them. And um, that started a relationship there. But uh, after this show... Months went by, no sales, you know, nothing new. And um, I was starting to think, you know, I know I know, startups hard, but have I already failed? And um, I got a call. There was a small boat show on the other coast of Florida, and this dealership had, had their headquarters. And uh, I remember the drive over. And I just said, I can't come home until I sell another few displays. And went to that boat show that morning again, hustled, shook hands with everyone, talked about the products. Uh, you know, not really great reception. I went to the uh, dealership headquarters that showed some interest. It really demoed, demoed the product as much as I could pushed it, you know, talked about future capabilities. And they said, we'll take some. I was like, whoa. Yay. So my second client is the client I had, you know, at the end of the long road in my in my vision. And um, that felt good. But I knew, you know, it wasn't, I didn't get a check then. It would be few months there were some features i had to build out as i had promised them but it was a start and i spent the rest of the afternoon i drove along us 41 which is a road known on the west coast of florida for having just dealerships along it just drove in every single boat dealership i saw stopped in shook hands if i got somewhere that was already closed for the day i made a note to myself sent them an email afterwards saying, hey, I had stopped by after hours, just missed you guys, you know, would love to introduce my products next time I'm in the area. And uh, just tried as hard as I could to get that awareness of not just a new company, but a whole new product category and what it could do for, for dealers. Right. And that's just it. It's, it's, I think at the time, it was even difficult for them to even see the value that you were providing for them at their dealerships or at the boat show, you know, because it wasn't like how it is now where everywhere you go, there's a touchscreen, you know, it wasn't like that just yet. Well, we're almost there, but it wasn't like that. So you almost had to paint a picture for them at this point. Absolutely. And I think it was difficult for a lot of them to, to even see the value up front. 
Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Especially, again, in the antiquated industry. So, um, you know, slowly there were signs of signs of some hope. And uh, that year, I every single dealer meeting across the country that I could get into, and a lot of times using old connections, uh, asking for help, you know, I went there. If it meant driving up, you know, and being in Indiana the next day, I drove up and I was there, you know, on display. And, um, you know, some events had to get a few sales, some none, but it would just all, the more displays that were out there at a boat show, the more it would help. And, um, yeah, things, things were slowly, you know, they weren't looking anything great, but there was, there was some hope. And, uh, I knew I needed to rework the hardware um i need to just make it scalable so i could save time in manufacturing them and i had never tackled uh product the production of hardware before you know it wasn't something in my background but you know i researched bits and pieces and actually on uh, my wife and i's honeymoon in europe uh on a train ride through the swiss alps i was sketching out design ideas of thinking that sheet metal could provide a much more uh, easily manufacturable way of creating these displays, the stands for them at least. And um, yeah, I, I started experimenting with some different ideas and luckily it wasn't, there were a lot of hits more than misses with with the designs that came out. So the new design ended up being a laser cut from an aluminum sheet and then CNC bent into a three-dimensional object. And there were two pieces of front and back uh, that would bolt to each other and the electronics would be contained inside and it would make this 40-inch this stand which would bolt to a uh, base plate that would provide a stable platform for the, for the uh, stand to stand and then finally support the LCD panel up top. And, yeah, uh, and the leg provided a great place for branding and design. I mean, it was it had everything it needed, you know, from a marketing perspective to be, you know, cause attention, and you know, you could brand it to your to your to your brand, and it was it's definitely a great design. Yeah, I, I'm pretty proud of how how uh, some of those designs came out. Um, and then we had at the end of end of this first year, we had a show the marine dealer conference and expo is the big event of the year a really gathering for dealers and showcase of uh technology and solutions from vendors whether it be uh boats from boat manufacturers or software companies or or uh, detailing products or uh, just really anything service diagnostics tools anything you could think of for the boat dealers were on display there and i had spent thousands on a 10 by 10 booth floor space and um, I didn't even have the money to have a professional booth designed and I didn't want to buy you know just uh, some stretch canvas background so I ended up uh, out of die bond and two by fours building this platform in my living room it was too tall to build in the garage so I built it in my living room and made a modular to take the display but um even just a few days before that that show was coming up, 
I still didn't have my new stands from the manufacturer that was cutting the aluminum. They were running behind, and I think uh, I ended up getting them just a few days before they went into powder coating, and I got everything the day before actually driving up to Orlando to go exhibit at this show. Um, oh, man. Everything just the really, nerves. Oh, yeah, Oof. everything just, just came together. Uh, my friend Darren had drove down from South Carolina past Orlando to come, you know, down to my place, help me load up. We drove to Orlando. Um, I, I was just so wiped and so stressed from getting everything ready that uh, I just didn't have the energy, energy to even drive up there. But we set up, even as we were just uh, setting up the booth and putting up the displays, you know, we got, got a lot of curiosity, even from other vendors who happened to be... Uh, exhibiting there who hadn't seen the displays before um so lots of curiosity but the show started off slow you know people are always a little afraid to spend money on new things but uh over the next few days of the event we, we got some sales you know nothing great but the real wake up was the last day of the event you know it was the end of the year last day of mdc and we were just on fire the morning started, I think, at 10 o'clock and just sale after sale after sale. And uh, I called my wife at one point and I said, we've got next few months, you know, uh, they're packed for us with orders. You know, I don't know how we're going to secure this many touchscreen panels, etc." And I thought, you know, we can't even take many more orders, but they just kept piling in. And even as forklifts were tearing down the the displays around us as the show was winding down and the day was over i had clients walking up just they didn't want to miss out on the opportunity and and purchase displays for their upcoming boat shows that would be in january february march of the next year so um that first year revenue was over double whatever could have ever expected and uh it put a lot of it put a backlog of work for the second year to start off with. So it was, you know, while it was a lot of hard work, it was, it was good. And, um, was really proud of how, how it all came together. Cause distinct now no longer felt like possible failure. It felt like there's so much untapped potential that I hadn't seen that, that could become of it. And, um, yeah, it was, uh, crazy to look back at. But the second year, second year was new products and a lot of uh, growth. Um, with all those orders from the previous year, there was it was a real hard start with securing touchscreen panels. Again, they weren't as popular as they are now, and I was trying to keep the product price point low. So there were only a few few manufacturers that uh, offered quality panels in the size and uh with the protocols I needed. Um, and they were just constantly out of stock. And I was having to turn down orders. At times I was having to uh, reinvent some of the hardware to support panels from other dis other display manufacturers. Um, I was looking at alternate solutions. Um, but it seemed like, you know, we'd get trickles, you know, a uh, distributor would let me know, hey, I have four, I have eight over here. And I was just purchasing them as as they come and trying to stock up what I could. But again, having no investor in this um, 
and just having, you know, put in my own, my own savings. I didn't want to put everything I had into, nor could I put everything I had into just stocking up on, on uh, touchscreen panels. Yeah. This time you started with the 27, right? And this is the year you introduced the 32. So I had 32 inch. Yeah. I had the original display was a 21 and a half inch and I had jumped over to a 23 inch uh, for the very first orders. And then uh, that first year at the very end, I had uh, shifted over to a 27. And I noticed the pattern every time I got, you know, bigger, the demand and the interest seemed to be, seemed to be more there. And uh, so, yes, even though the price, the price was huge difference, you know, yep. in this particular instance, the higher priced, bigger display outperformed the lower price, smaller display. Yeah. And uh, actually... In that second year, a little bit later, uh, I think it was about March, April, I started tinkering with, I said, I want to try even bigger display. Because what was happening is instead of being one display per boat, dealers wanted to put less displays. They wanted to invest less in hardware, but they wanted to showcase their entire product lines on it. And that's a feature I introduced through the software. So the displays became more of a digital brochure rather than a digital price sign. Uh, even though all that single boat functionality was still there. But um, yeah, I shifted to a 32-inch display. And the real reason I did that was I could secure them from the world's uh, top uh, touchscreen manufacturer. I could have a consistent uh, product, you know, consistent supply and uh, long-term support for them. Uh, the price was double, really, of the 27 and I thought that would really scare off customers, but the exact opposite happened. And scale uh, sales that year skyrocketed because of the popularity of the 32. I mean, everything else, just the smaller displays, got completely ignored once that once the 32 came out. So um, yeah, the software evolved with more features. You know, I was trying to satisfy everyone, which was a bit of a mistake. I should have really focused more on streamlining some of the core features. And uh, to add to the mix, I got first real office i had outgrown the garage for assembly so i got just a warehouse with a small office and nothing fancy but it helped helped with uh assembly and and uh stocking and having you know making it feel a little bit more like a real company and uh once again that year i really try to focus on on the dealer meetings and spend a lot of time on road i mean i'd be you know, driving to Alabama one weekend, come back down to Florida the next weekend, drive to South Carolina, you know, Indiana, Ohio, et cetera, all over the East Coast of the U.S., really. And um, some events were really great, you know, sell $50,000 worth of displays. Some of you'd come home with nothing, but you just had to had to try, give it your all. And what's really uh, funny to me is, started noticing that the the events that I'd have video of my touchscreens in use by other dealers and customers, you know, interacting with them, those were where other dealers would see the value in the displays. And I noticed always um, sales correlating to how well I presented the product through the use of video. So, um, yeah, second year second year was was challenging and my time was being stretched thin and 
I was uh, creating content as a subscription for customers. Uh, I was trying to avoid the obstacle of them complaining about how much time it took for them to create content for certain manufacturers. And each manufacturer could have 20, 30, or maybe even 200 different boat models. But I saw the opportunity to, to introduce a uh, monthly recurring revenue model by charging for this content. And if uh, I had 10 dealers all representing one brand, I would create it once, uh, basically each year, and deploy it to them and charge them each for it. And it seemed like a good good concept at the time, and uh, dealers liked the idea of, of um, saving their time too. In the second year... Yeah, that was huge because, because I mean, at the... I mean, to this day, actually, it doesn't exist anywhere, anywhere for, you know, sort of a like a conglomerate of all this data. There's nowhere to go to get all this data. And, you know, from a dealer's perspective, it just takes too long to put together. Absolutely. Absolutely. So by the third year, the growth was what I'm going to call ridiculous. I mean, the revenue for the business over the past 18 months was something that I think many businesses could have only dreamed of. But great revenue is really meaningless unless you have great profits. And as the revenue increased with distinct, the profits were decreasing. What was happening is with that content as a subscription model, the dealers wanted that in in the idea of it, but they simply weren't paying for their subscriptions. And there were a lot of excuses, you know, well, you know, I shouldn't have to pay for the, for the content since I'm a, I'm a rep- or I'm representing these uh, these manufacturers, etc., uh, etc. Et but um, you know, I still saw the potential. I had just moved into a new, nicer office. I had hired help to actually physically assemble displays, but I even struggled with that. Um, just finding the right fit was hard. I had this guy uh, from high school. I had seen he was looking for work on Facebook and wanted to give him a shot. Um, and at this time I was spending a lot of time on the road, but what I started realizing is the guy would turn in his, his, uh, weekly report and say he was, you know, working on this and that. And yet he was never in the yeah, office at all. I remember you had to, yeah, you had to go back into the cameras uh, and, yeah. and see what time he was getting there. I remember that. Yeah, it was, it was tough and, uh, hated making those kind of calls, you know, letting, letting him go, but. At the same time, I felt really betrayed in that I had trusted him being working and representing the company when I was, you know, away. And he was just probably at home on the couch, you know, thinking he was racking up uh, some some hours or something. But, uh, you know, he explained. Well, now we know why he was unemployed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, uh, so in that third year, I really wanted to, as I saw that, I saw how tough it was to deal with some of the employees I had brought on for this assembly. I wanted to shift as much of the manufacturing and reduce the amount of time that you know my hands or my employees' hands actually spent on on the displays, um, and again shift it to the companies who were creating the stands and so forth. So I looked for little changes. I had uh, the company that was uh, laser cutting the aluminum and CNC bending it. I had them start 
putting the rib nuts on, which are threaded inserts for sheet metal. I had them put the rib nuts on because their their guys could do it quicker than we could. Um, I was even getting to the point of finding companies who could handle the final assembly, put in the electronics, uh, build the wiring harnesses, and uh, basically do everything uh, on demand. So when we got in orders, we could specify the color of the stands. We could... Uh, specify the model of the stands and just have them deliver to us the final assembled goods. And that was a bit of hope in what had become some gloomy months just in how thin my time was stretched and uh, how tough it seemed going forward as far as growing the company, growing revenue, and trying to grow and recover profits. Yeah, that profits was really killing me that, that, um, I was working for for these dealers, uh, delivering them goods, and then they were turning around and not paying for the services. So it was, it was hard, um, both financially for the company and then emotionally as well. And I thought about, um, I thought there'd be some opportunities in getting out of the boating industry and using the products in something like the heavy equipment industry. But at the time, it'd be a gamble in taking the time and investing it into adapting the products and then also getting into these different events. And it really was a gamble, you know, same as the boating industry, never knew what event would be a success and what would result in nothing at all. So, um, I had been speaking to, a to an investor at the time who was interested, uh, owner of a software development or sorry, owner of a software company in the boating industry. Uh, not a developer, but owner of a software company. And, you know, he made a really fair offer. But at the end of the day, I felt that I had other issues besides just bringing in money that I wanted to solve first. And I thought that the money couldn't fix some of those. And um, this is about the time where you and I were working on Luminous which was solution yep. to really standardize the data I was working with and the data you needed for other projects. Simply put, there was no standard in the boating industry. Data from one manufacturer came in one format. It could have been a scanned in PDF. Another one could have supplied a spreadsheet. You know, very few had any sort of API uh, or any sort of data feed, really. Yeah, I mean, the, one of the best examples was a company who would supply a scanned in PDF. What they do is they print out their price list, which is it's MSRP. It's publicly available on their website. They print out that list from a spreadsheet. They make some notes on it and scan it back in. And those notes were simply for the reason that if I distributed that PDF, they could link it back to me. But by rasterizing that content, it now meant that all of it had to be manually input and all the pricing had to be, you know, rewritten. And uh, you introduced this margin of error in a human actually reading, you know, reading a scan document, putting it in now to a database. And um, that's not to mention just time consuming yeah, and monotonous slowed, time. Slow down know, the process. This is like cutting backgrounds out of images that I was talking about. Yeah, exactly. Just, nonsense work so we were really looking forward to luminous and we had a polished product working but um 
I don't think we just had the time to promote it and get out there and introduce it to yet another new concept to the boating industry. Yeah, and I wrote a pretty cool paper on that too. Oh, yeah. I was really excited to show it off. Yeah. Again, a little bit gloomy time here. I was working for January, February, March. I was working 20-hour days, seven days a week. And what hurt was that I couldn't see really a path forward without spreading myself thinner or hiring someone driven. You know, we talked about trying to bring you on board, and that was my ultimate goal at the time. You know, I figured, you know, having someone driven like yourself, you know, you saw the vision, you saw the potential. What we needed was a way to have that security of paying you a comfortable pay so you didn't have to worry about the sales of the units. You know, we weren't both dependent on, you know, having to go out to this event, make sure we sell enough units to just put, you know, bread on our table at, at the end of the night. Uh, so there there were a lot of challenges. Things just never really came together with, with an investor uh, that year during the mine. also had that big, you had that big contract, right, with the, with the big heavy equipment, with a with a separate company. That was kind of lingering for a long time. That was that, that would, kind of, would have been my biggest. I feel like that was the the cat. Yeah, that was a straw that broke the camel's back. I feel like. Yeah, yeah. So um, there was interest through another company I'd worked with uh, for one of the top heavy equipment manufacturers, really in the world. Um, yeah, they, huge, they wanted huge, a huge, huge order of these displays, but it was contingent on a contract being renewed with the company in the middle, which was the company that developed their apps. And one of the issues was that they would have had to re, re-engineer their Android app, which was at the time outdated in comparison to their iOS app. And the equipment company was dragging their feet on that. They didn't feel that the customer base was there for it. And yeah, it just, it never came together and it was disappointing because that would have, that would have been huge. That would have changed everything. Yeah. I feel like that would have been the turning point, you know, had that, that gone through because see, that would have introduced the whole entire industry, which this thing didn't have. And, you know, sort of open the possibilities to even collaborations with this same middle company and other projects. And I mean, it would have been a game changer right there at that point. That would have been, yeah, unfortunately that one didn't go through. Yeah, yeah. And then we had that year, the Miami Boat Show. And one of the big technology companies in the boating industry had had a a new investment, I'll say. That's not exactly what happened, but it's an easy explanation. And They had a new CTO and a new CEO that I'd been able to set up a meeting with. And I went in there to pitch you, me, Luminous, Distinct, and a lot of fresh ideas that we had for taking the industry forward. And um, the CTO and the CEO just didn't have the same level of interest that their team had had um who you and i had been speaking to in the past and worked with in the past and yeah i I was disappointed in that but i was even more disappointed in that they lacked really the vision to transform the company 
it was what I saw and what I said to you after that meeting was it was just going to be the more of the same old antiquated crap for the years to come that we had seen, you know, for the past past decade. You know, it just it stung, you know, here we had something cutting edge in the industry and we had customers that love the product, but just were not embracing the content as a subscription model as uh, well as I thought they would. And uh, literally, as I was walking away from that meeting with the technology company, I bumped into a owner of a, another boat dealership out of state. And uh, he starts expressing to me as we're catching up quickly that he wishes he could hire someone like me to tackle his marketing. And I don't really recall exactly the mood I was in. I'm sure I was a little bit disappointed, a little bit angry. Uh, but I think I caught him off guard when I said, match what I was making before. And I said, me and Donna could come up there, you know, in a moment's notice to take a look at the area. And if everything looks good, you know, we can make this happen. And I'm not usually the kind of guy to put together a quick, you know, good response in the moment, but it has to be one of the smoothest pitches I've ever made. And I was really, <laughs> really excited about, you know, the possibility because everything you sounded were, great. I remember how excited. Uh, uh, yeah, know, for months you were just so excited about yeah, that. Yeah, and unfortunately nothing came about it. But that, in a way, opened the doors to kind of what would become. And uh, I was kind of in the in the mix there, uh, luckily able to put in a good reference for you on uh, the position you're in now. Uh, which I'm very grateful for that, that, that ended up, you know, something great ended up coming out of, out of all that uh, in a very odd sense. Um, right. Right. Yeah. The way that worked out was just odd, Yeah, but do you appreciate it? Yeah. Um, and with the other, with the other dealership, you know, I have no idea why things never, you know, came about, you know, there was definitely excitement there, genuine excitement. But um, again, what I feel disappointed about is that company has so much potential. They still do. Um, but it's just wasted potential as it's lingering. So after the boat show in the weeks that followed, and, you know, I think, think my tone, my attitude towards the stink was starting to change. But one night after work, I went to meet my friend Corey for uh, dinner and a few drinks. We had been making pretty good effort to catch up every few months and go grab some dinner. But uh, I would always, always be at least an hour late. And uh, this time again, I apologized, you know, as I sat down and they had already ordered food and were eating. And I said, without even really thinking about it, I said, just imagine how Donna, you know, feels implying that this is, you know, an every night experience for her. And uh, as I said that, I really realized what I said. And I had to kind of just rewind that and hit replay in my head, saying, imagine that this is what my wife feels like every night, you know, that I'm late or you know, when she's talking to me, my head's not there because it's focused on the business. And, um, yeah, it really. It was a lot. It was, it was a lot for one person. Yeah. I mean, it really is what it boils down to. It was a lot for one person. And, you know, and even if you, even though you're a one person, 
company, you know, the expectation is that of, you know, Apple. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? So I was, I was, the expectation. I mean, it was just huge, and and there was a lot of pressure on you for for being a single person and sequence of events of you know bad events in a row back to back to back. I mean, there's only so much you can take, you know, yeah. emotionally speaking. Yeah, and I mean, I was I was sacrificing the most important bits of my life for for these customers who, for the most part, couldn't even pay for the services they had promised to. So my relationship with well, straight up refused to pay yeah, for it. Yeah. The relationship I had with not that it's not that they couldn't afford it. No, no. I mean and we're we're not talking yeah, about small just, small businesses yeah. here. And we're not talking right. about I mean they, they were they were straight up ignoring invoices, not paying for them. You know, it was it was it was hairy. It was it was a dark yeah. bad, you know, side of the business. Yeah, and you know, I've talked about that with many individuals in the boating industry afterwards. Um, and it seems to be a common theme with parts or really anything. Um, unfortunately, for some reason, there's companies that just feel, you know, we could promise to pay for something, but we might not. Even even hiring, you know, even hiring comes down to, you know, pinching pennies for quality hires and you end up missing out on them. I think we've touched on that before too. Yeah, and there's probably too many companies in the industry who are, you know, pirating software, certain office products from certain companies, uh, certain creative software packages from certain companies. Um, in just to save, you know, twenty, thirty, fifty bucks, or even ten bucks a month, but they feel. I guess they just simply shouldn't have to pay for that software that they use, you know, that that contributes to their business. And I don't know where that mentality comes from. It's just too prevalent in our in our industry. Yeah, I mean, a lot, a lot like the, you know, the story that we were talking about at the beginning of the episode, just complete disregard for sort of where SaaS has gone. I mean, software as a service is a huge thing. You know, everybody's doing it. The huge companies are doing it. Small companies are doing it. Distinct was doing it, you know, and it it is what it is. I mean, you know, same as Apple Music. You pay your Apple Music, you get your service, yep. you know. But when, you know, they have millions of subscribers, so, you know, when 10 don't pay, it's okay. You know, but when you do that to a small business, it's detrimental to the business. Oh, yeah, yeah. So all of this had, you know, slowly just been really killing me, Um relationships you know with my wife family friends they were all deteriorating i had stopped looking after myself i had gained 25 pounds in weight or 30 pounds whatever it was my eyes my eyes had bags that stretched down to my knees um, a lot of the hobbies i had previously had had enjoyed had just been put on hold for years even my personal salary that i was taking was just a fraction of what i had previously previously made and uh as i really reflected on all that i said this has to stop and it was one night 10 p.m uh after you had security position with the company you're at now you sent me a listing for a marketing web de development position in the automotive industry yeah i stumbled stumbled on that on linkedin and i said man this could be a this would be a good opportunity for Yanni, I mean, to do something else, you know. Yeah. At the time, I was thinking, you know, sort of as a part-time thing for you while you continued to figure things out, you know. But 
you had a different idea. Yeah, and right there on the spot, I remember in bed, I wrote a wrote them a passionate email, and I said, "I'm giving this everything I've got." I wrote them an email and assured them they'd have to search far and wide to find someone you know as driven and with the abilities I had, you know, the right fit for their position. And all I needed was just an opportunity to really prove it. Yeah, and as a side note of that is. Obviously, fast forwarding, you did take the job. You ended up working there for almost a year, yeah, right? Or yeah. over a year? Yeah. The position there wasn't as scalable as I hope it would be. And I think in hindsight, they've realized what they exactly needed uh, simply because of some of the projects that I tackled while there. A little bit difficult to explain, but but we could dive into that in a future episode. But that whole position yeah, that almost a- never came um you know, even though the calls had gone great and and the discussions, uh, I was waiting for an email that never came, and I almost gave up on it until you said, you know, call them, call them, and see what happened. Yeah, at least get a reason. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, and when I, I did, I had learned that. Oh yeah, you know, we sent you the welcome letter and everything. No, I haven't received it. Oh, uh, oh, it's here, stuck in my outbox. Let me send it again. <laughs> and. Yeah, that was that was that. I slowly wound things down at distinct, meaning I stopped sales of new products. Um, I put as much really as I could on autopilot. Uh, shipped out any remaining orders as as uh, they came together. Luckily, the office I had leased just months before, um, the adjoining neighbor had moved out. And they had an opportunity. I saw that they could lease the entire unit as one bigger space. Uh, it was half uh, warehouse space, half office space that could be combined. And uh, sure enough, when I reached out to the landlord, they said they had a, a client interested. So in just a few weeks, you know, I moved out of there and put everything into storage, 3D printers, uh, metal brakes, drill presses. I mean, just CN- small CNC machines whole ton of equipment and a lot of inventory. It worked out that we got out of that office, you know, very, very smoothly. And um, I had in the, uh, you know, months that passed from there, I had one of the boat manufacturers that had previously purchased some of the displays. They purchased the rest of my inventory of hardware to actually build their own displays uh, using a Windows-based solution. So that worked out real well. I didn't make anything on it, but at least I got rid of inventory and could downsize storage. Right, right. And um, with the content creator and dealers being able to utilize the tool, that still lives on and works, you know, as well as it always did. I actually support that out of my own pocket as a thank you for the customers who early on supported me. It allows them to keep utilizing their displays at shows. You know, I, I I think about it so much about there's so much in the year since that I've learned development wise that I could recreate content creator or make a better version of it, make a more streamlined version of it. But I just stopped myself knowing that the industry isn't ready for that content as a subscription model yet. Um, and that's really why it failed. The industry wasn't ready for it. And the best example I could make is for decades, companies have been trying to make self-driving cars and fail. 
and that's because the foundation wasn't there to support them. Uh, it's taken things like adaptive cruise control and lane keep assist and all these other small bits and pieces of technology to come into the automotive industry so that the software algorithms could combine those all together and really make self-driving a reality. And that's, that's exactly where we were when I was spending 90% of my time on creating content because there was no standardization of a data. I wasn't focusing my time on these products. I was focusing on fixing uh, or patching a hole in the foundation. And really the concept of content as a service was really just too new in the industry. I mean, as we said earlier, software as a service is something that still confuses uh, companies in the industry. They don't understand why they would have to pay a monthly subscription instead of just buying a single version of software and letting it, you know, go outdated. Um, they don't see the value in that. So they couldn't see the value in content as a, sub a subscription or a service either. They could see the value in buying the hardware because they were getting something tangible. But the content, as much as they tried and as important as it was to them, uh, meaning that I had dealers calling a few days before their major boat shows, hey, you know, we need, you know, 2016 data on this model or this manufacturer's models. And I say, you guys haven't paid for all last year, you know, we need to catch that up. Right. Again, the expectation of the huge corporation there where it's like, oh, they could take a hit on this, you know, because I bought this. And it, again, it was just, it just goes back to that huge expectation. Yeah. And like for them, I'd slave and get everything ready for their boat show. And then that check would just never show up or that credit card, you know, invoice would just go unpaid. Even companies doing chargebacks, you know, after their shows, it was, it was just incredible and, and very disappointing. But um, that expectation was there, and I created this image that Distinct was a maybe bigger company than just me, and I created this, what I consider a professional image, and I was creating technology in the boating industry, and I was using components from you know legitimate top manufacturers out there. So I could see that it would be easy to understand that I wasn't just, you know, small business and um you know maybe there was this impression that it was easy to ignore just you know single on paying customer but when they all added up it was it was you know thousands each month going unpaid and was supposed to be monthly recurring revenue yeah i made a lot of mistakes along the way you know i don't know how much of it i would do differently but you know early on i shouldn't have focused so much on perfecting the hardware um, you know, I, as much as I love standing on the underside of drawers, I, I spent too much time on that. I should have focused instead on just the minimum viable product and only focus on what I couldn't outsource. I didn't need to reinvent the wheel on certain things. And I should have earlier gone to that premium provider for the touchscreen panels. Uh, I could have saved all that time I wasted on trying to adapt hardware to work with certain panels. I could have saved all that stress of trying to track down, uh, you know, quantities or uh, trying to secure new materials, et cetera. 
but I don't know if the bigger displays would have been an instant hit without the road work paved by the smaller, cheaper models that started to really pick up the momentum. And uh, I wish we would tackle Luminous earlier. I mean, I wish I could have seen that in in advance. And uh, what's sad about that is, as we got it polished and working, both of our careers took turn. You know, we went in polar opposite directions, and we put that on hold. And as we did that, you know, we couldn't really just focus in the industry promoting that as a tool. Would have had to be a been a full time job on its own. No, I think. I mean, I think all in all, I I definitely have to commend you just for just having the courage to stand up in a meeting and say, you know what, I quit. I'm going to go do something else. You know what I mean? And stand up for yourself in that, and then sticking with it. I mean, years. This was this was not a you know two three month endeavor, and then you found a job, which you could have done. You know, this was years of incredibly hard work and perseverance and again it was unfortunately uh, unfortunate chain of events that sort of set this off in the in the wrong direction and timing was off and you know there was again it wasn't the technology it was it was all great i mean i i still think it's all great and i was actually extremely disappointed when they stole mine you know the one that i that i still used until you know earlier this this year um and i was so disappointed because i knew i couldn't get another one and uh i do have to believe that you in a lot of ways paved the way for many things that have happened and are to come in the industry you know and sort of opening manufacturers eyes to you know even just opening manufacturers eyes to actually help dealers you know, buy things like the digital displays as a marketing effort. And that all in general is very, very important. You know, I could have a huge impact in the industry in the next 10, 15 years. You know, we we don't know. We don't know what the future holds for sure. But I got to tell you, man, it takes a lot of balls to do what you did. Well, thank you. What you thank did. You. I mean, the first, first few weeks afterwards were... Um, you know, I had a lot of mixed feelings and I felt uh, ashamed that I had, you know, shut down or I had failed or it wasn't easy. And I, we had dinner with uh, some friends, friends of our family. And when, uh, you know, we gave them an update on, you know, what's changed and what's going on, the uh, the husband looked me in the eye. And he said, uh, a lot of people don't see the stop sign until it's way too late. He um, shook my hand and, you know, said, uh, said he was proud of me. And uh, that was really a, okay, you know, I can feel okay about this. And it is okay kind of moment. And uh, as I've looked back over over the years, I've realized, you know, Distinct was, you know, the greatest learning experience for me. And it's also been very humbling. Sure, you know, everything happened. But once again, in life, I hit that restart button and I rebuilt my career in a whole new industry and took a fork in the road, but made something great out of it again. I definitely have to agree with that. I mean, I, I yeah, again, there's 
not a whole lot that can be said you know i think that for what it was it was successful you know yeah and um, and that's the it, it, you, you know, know it, it, it i guess it depends on how you define success um you know everyone has different ways but you know that just sets you know for something uh something in the future just sets that hey anything is possible kind of mentality yeah man well, oh man, that's a great story, though. Well, thank you, thank you. So hopefully, I'm sure I'm sure you're gonna I'm sure you're gonna have some follow up on on this, some some additional uh, questions and stuff throughout episodes to come and stuff like that. But um, yeah, you know, anyone who does I, does I, have questions, you know, can feel free to reach out to either one of us, and we're we're both open books, so love to share our. I mean, I, I know I know there's I know there's somebody out there that's gonna really appreciate this and say, you know, I I've I, you know. I got what I needed out of it. You know what I mean? So even though it's not the triumphant story of, you know, this company, how it grew to be, you know, multi-million dollar company that got sold to somebody else and now it's not as good anymore. You know what I mean? Seems to be the story most of the time. You know, this is the true story. This is how it really can go down sometimes. And it doesn't mean you're not going to try again. You know, I, I know you and I know that what you know, eventually something else will be in the works. So yeah, it's got to keep your head up, man. Just keep your head up. Yeah, yeah. And you know, it's I think everything in life, the result is made up of all these different circumstances. And you know, like this product photos, FaceTiming with you where you're teaching me how to shoot and uh provided me feedback on photos that I'm sending you over iMessage and aiding in all the development and you know, starting to tackle the new version of the content creator yourself and all this, even after Distinct, has inspired me to just keep on polishing my own skills and learn as much as possible. And you, know, you can you can make a million mistakes, but uh, you got to learn from them and try not to repeat them. Use that knowledge to go forward. Yep. And with that, we're coming up here close to an hour and a half, so we should probably call it a day on this we'll one. Call it. What do you think? Yep. yep. In closing, you know. Uh, thank you again for all the help over over the years. You know, really appreciate it. And thank you. Uh, hey man, we're just getting started. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> thank you especially to. We're just getting started, man. To my wife too for for all the support. You know, during distinct. And uh, there's a million other yeah. people, but yeah. So we're gonna call it here, and uh, we've got a lot of content for the next episode. So uh, hit that subscribe yeah. button. I'm uh, I'm Yanni. I'm Victor. Thank you. Hey, it's Yanni again. And while Victor's snoozing off, I've got the podcast on my mind and there's a few things I wanted to add. So it might have sounded like things went pretty smoothly after I shut down Distinct, but that's not exactly how it was. And there's a few things I neglected to mention. One of those was the uh, fallout from existing customers was, was pretty bad. And there was months and months of uh, some very upset emails and phone calls. And uh, the worst ones seemed to simply come from the customers who had never paid a penny towards their dues. I had ended the content as a subscription service and reverted back to con customers being responsible for their own content. And even though the majority of customers weren't paying for it, 
they all seem to feel entitled to that with the purchase of their hardware. And the best way I could liken that was you can go out and buy a TV from Best Buy, but you're still going to need service provider, whether it's your uh, cable TV provider or a streaming service like Netflix. You need something to provide that content to display on the hardware. And that's something, you know, even though they were accustomed to it in the TV example, they just weren't really accepting of it in their business model. And uh, in closing, you know, Distinct really failed because even though revenue was growing with each new sale and each new customer, the workload was increasing. And the most time-consuming part of, of operations was really the least profitable. Uh, for me, it had become a vicious cycle of simply selling more displays to generate income. But each one of those sales was damaging the long-term health of the company. I was spread too thin, and the shrinking profits weren't really paving a way to hire quality help. And, uh, yeah, that's the story of Distinct. Victor and I do hope you've enjoyed this episode. We'll return to our normal discussions in the next one. Thanks for listening.